Recording another episode of Zoom Town. I'm your host, Travis Mateer, with Tim Adams on the other side of that microphone. I am here. You are. And it's been only one week because we do this weekly, um, but it continues to, to seem like a lot of information accumulates. Um, I would love to do maybe another podcast at some point. Um, and we're, we're talking about all the different options out there, different platforms. Um, but right now, we're just continuing to do this thing every Tuesday. We still have a local election going forward. I, I obtained a copy of John Engen's latest uh, letter appeal, um, went out October 1st, and we can kind of get on that. But um, to give a quick idea of some of the things we want to maybe discuss today, um, COVID numbers locally, we are given, way down. We are given access to actual data. You you have a mind for data, and you are putting out graphs on your Twitter feed, um, and so we're going to get into that. Um, I'm going to talk about Sarah alert and I'm trying to break up with her, but she's not getting the hint and she keeps texting me. Um, my last response to, to Sarah, instead of just doing that link and hitting submit, I'm done submitting to Sarah. I just texted back. No. So we'll get into that. Maybe. Oh, um, does your wife know? I, I told her about it. Yeah. Oh, she seems yeah. okay with it. She likes me saying no to Sarah. Oh, so okay. um, we're going to talk about the feds um, being now tasked by Merrick Garland to look at parents who are making school board people sad. Um, Ryan Zinke, we're going to talk about maybe him because sure. you, you saw him. Yeah, he, I went and saw him at Cross Point Church uh, as part of an event put on by the Western Montana Liberty Coalition, I think. Um, yes. You know Mike Starmer. I don't know yeah. the guy. I, I saw him working the event, but I didn't go say hi. Yeah, I will apologize when we get to that point about being one of those maybe loudmouth people um, at the last event. Um, but we'll, we'll, so we'll discuss that. Um, I was at the baby killing rally on Saturday with a megaphone talking oh. about my right to not put a, a needle in me. Did they find one? I was approached by uh, Mar Marilyn Marler. It was very uh, interesting. I wrote a post about it. So we'll discuss that Montana racial equity project. We're, we're going to discuss something I had no idea about. That was released September 27th. Um, we'll, we'll discuss that. And then um, some other movements in the nonprofit world with the Montana Human Rights Network. Um, yeah, that's what we're going to talk about. But we should start with COVID numbers. Yeah. What should we look at? You know, it's. I don't have the time to deep dive into everything. I mean, right. I, I only have so much hours during the day. But one thing that was interesting is uh, we had a, I think it was a judge in Sanders County yesterday, it was brought to my attention, who upheld a mask mandate. You had our, our great champion, Amy Coney Barrett, who let uh, mandate. Was that in Sanders state. County or was that M Missoula County? Because I know um, Quinton Rhodes is also involved in uh, local efforts to, to try and, and counter the mask mandate. And that was... Some there was a legal decision up, upholding for the moment. Yeah, that. for right now, uh, at least I think Roy McKenzie was the one who told me that uh, the they did uphold the mask mandate here in Missoula County, uh, and they scheduled yeah. a a hearing for next May. So you know your Eighth Amendment right to a speedy trial is is really full effect here. That's a By the long time way your kids out. are going to be through their whole grade, they might decide whether they should wear masks. Um, and I, I will remind at this point, um, I was at one of the, the last um, in-person meetings. It wasn't the school board officially. It was the COVID task force. 
And there was a, a young girl, um, I think she was like maybe 13, 14, around my oldest kid's age. And she went and talked about the fact that masks seem to give her migraine headaches and that remote learning for her takes her away from her peers and that makes her upset. And so, you know, I, I guess as adults are acting very not adult-like in some ways and again, parents are now being looked at by uh, federal agencies potentially at the behest of AG uh, Garland. Um, it's really, really sad that some of the actual experiences of kids, I mean, for her then, her experience will continue, will continue, and will continue. And the what she might be experiencing in terms of a potential negative impact from having to put a fabric over her face for the duration of the day, um, you know, that's not being taken seriously by the by the adults in positions of influence that really should be having her her interests in mind. So, I mean, I've always been a critic of the schools. I think the the very uh, bottom basement uh, numbers we have on standardized testing where Missoula County Schools is lucky if they get 50 to 60% of the kids to be able to read English and like do math their grade level. And you look at the discrepancies for students of color, like Native American kids or Hispanic kids, it's lower. It's like 20%. Uh, so I guess I was never under the illusion that they cared that much about the kids. Well, the, the seems... standards are <clears throat> are allowed, not to interrupt you, but it's just now now COVID and the pandemic provide the excuse to even lower those even further. And that's already like starting to, to crop up in some of these conversations. Like, oh yeah, no, the kids aren't in, in person learning and the teacher has a mask over her face and they can't see words for them. And we know that there's development issues that are going to happen. Well, let's just move the goalposts. Let's lower the standards. It's fine. It's cool. You yeah. Know? It's, it's strange how schools have changed so much in a generation. They seem a lot more about social services. Now we need to make sure we serve the kids breakfast. We need to make sure they have uh, lunch. It was so strange when the, the schools were shut down last year, the school buses would come by and deliver brand bag lunches and all the moms and kids would line up for them. It's like, right. And we actually, uh, my kids go to target range and, and they changed their lunch program. Now that it's free, um, it is much less quality food. So the kind of uh, high fructose smuckers bullshit, um, you know, but they want to keep my kids safe. It's all and they want to keep everyone safe and health. You were public health. Right. And um, so they're getting more shit food now. Um, you know, I'm glad that I'm a privileged person yeah, and that, and that we I have mean, food that's really good for our kids and that, and that we counter some of that stuff that's out there, the crap that they get. You know, I'm glad that we're able to counter that. And now all the food from Big Agra uh, is going to go right alongside the shot from Big Pharma. Uh, of course, Newsom down in California is mandating all kids, even elementary age kids, as soon as it's approved by the FDA, unless they have a specific medical thing that they have to get shots. It, it's so put, dystopian to be in this uh, life right now. It's just weird. They should put the vaccine in the food and just kind of cut out some of the, you know. <laughs> Well, efficiency. Have, you, have you researched the pill they're coming out with now? I, I have not looked into that too closely. I just see it. I'm like, yeah, I, have, I, I was reading about that possibility a while back. Um, and yeah, a lot like, of people oh. are very critical because it's it's another antiviral, just like ivermectin, which they sent the past months demonizing uh, purely because they don't have the patent to it anymore. So they can't make money off of it. So they have to come up with the new patented antiviral that totally works better than the old one that's you know cheap and has no side effects. It is really fascinating um to to be having to sort of discern what information to accept as as more viable than others um, when you leave the idea of, of corporate media being the sole determiner of credibility yeah. um, you might want to look at something like the spartacus document that seems to be kind of making the rounds i'm going to um, have a hard copy at some point because it's very interesting as it looks at gain of function research that was being done um, we're, we're at a point in, the, in this world where the fauci there's evidence that he lied to congress 
Um, at that level, consequences don't matter. But it, I mean, to look at um, the possibility of this like um, blood disease that's that's going on, and, and the the actual ways of approaching um, prophylactic uh, medical interventions early on, or, or preventatives, and then and then actual interventions. So, in the, according to this document, I haven't read it in depth, but they were talking about. Um, Ivermectin as an antiparasitic having some sort of uh, impact early on, but once you're really full blown symptomatically, a lot of times that viral load is, is mostly left. And so, um, because of the way this person is claiming, who seems to have a medical background, but you know, it's an anonymous document, anonymous written document, um, that, that antioxidant interventions like vitamin C, something like vitamin C can be effective. You know, and but that doesn't make big pharma money in this big uh, control power grab. To no, being healthy doesn't make them money. Eating fruits and oh, vegetables yeah, doesn't right. make them money. The, it's almost like we're cattle. Let me circle back to the yes. COVID numbers because that's sort of what we want to touch on. Absolutely. Um, so if we're looking back to, I'm going to take my dashboard and just go out a bit. Like mid-July, if we look at where our last wave sort of tapered off, um, we're looking about January, February. So February, the numbers were under 200. Looks like they stayed uh, 100 or less up to about the is first it, day we is had this statewide? Is this statewide this data? This is statewide, and this is on the COVID uh, dashboard that the state provides. It's the ArcGIS uh, dashboard, if okay. you're familiar which one that is. And so it looks like the first day we hit over 200 after the taper off in February was July 26th. And then we start to see this uh, ramp up. And so let's say... Uh, by the end of August, we're up to about 800 cases a day. Uh, September, we're jumping back up to 1,100, 1,200 cases uh, certain days. If you watch the dashboard, it looks like there is sort of a, a pattern to it, and that's because, especially on Mondays, they don't have as many staff and, and such doing this stuff on the weekends, so a lot of their big numbers from the weekends end up getting folded into the Monday report. Oh, so, interesting. Like 913, just a few weeks ago, we were at 1,200. A week later, 920, we're at 1,215. Uh, a week later, 927, we're actually down to 1100. And then we start seeing big, big drops. So by 929, we're at 900. Uh, 930, we're down to 700. Uh, the first, which would have been last Friday, we're back to 500. The numbers over this weekend were both uh, in the 70s, I think. And then the ones that were released just today uh, look to be 296. And that's actually the big data dump. So as far as the last month or two months of data, we're down about 70% from the high. Just just the stuff that's been reported this last week. Our data from last week half seems to look at that we're seeing a huge decrease in the cases, which is interesting. As I mentioned, the, the Sanders County judge, when I looked at the documents that he used when, when making his decision to keep the mask mandate in place, it only had numbers up until September 20th. And it looks like right. about the 23rd right. is, is when this peaked. Uh, and then maybe the last two weeks, we've seen a, a huge decrease. So it's curious why these judges would not use updated numbers and, and use data from two or three weeks ago when it was the highest. Well, and, and here's, the, here's the thing. When we go back to before the school year started, um, initially... What the school board was claiming is that six weeks were going to be needed. And so um, as we approach a six week mark, um, and if if what what you're talking about in terms of the data that's available with and, and when we put this out, we should have a link to to the dashboard so so people can check it out for themselves. Um, if if the trend line that you're identifying in which you put a graph up, then I took a screenshot to include in the post, then then what is the justification for maintaining? the masks 
even based on their own assertion that, that we were going to take a look at six weeks, you know, what then becomes the justification going forward that that's going to be required? And, and to, to talk a little bit um, about, you know, this idea of cases, I've been kind of making fun of the Sarah alert thing. I've been trying to break up with Sarah. She keeps on texting me. I'm just telling her no. Um, but Sarah Alert, I actually did a post um, that looks into the Meter Corporation, and this is a sort of spinoff, and, and this is what our health department is using for um, contacts. And so if I'm a close contact, um, I guess I've never been symptomatic, right? So so I don't think I'm probably an active case, but you brought up in a conversation we were having um, that what if I was, what if this is an active case? You know, my, my middle child was COVID positive on September 1st. And so that really is what um, started this process then for our entire family. The rest of my family has been off of the Sarah alert for a couple of weeks. And I've just continued re responding to it because I wanted to see how long this would, would happen. Um, I talked to someone at the health department on Friday and she, she assured me that, you know, they were going to like have it at least stop, you know, because I'm like, listen, I haven't been symptomatic for a month. Can you please stop this system from like texting me? Yeah. Um, but over the weekend, kept on getting the text. Um, I did respond no, finally. So we'll see if that stopped it. But it's just kind of, it, it raises questions for someone like me who didn't actually have a conversation with anyone from the health department until I initiated it on Friday. And okay, they, they're staffing and they're overwhelmed. Let's talk about that, you know? Um, but it doesn't feel like we are having honest conversations, even when it comes to the numbers. If data is available, but they're truncating what, what, what the date is that they're using in making a, a legal justification that then what our next hearing is in May. I, I thought it was April, but um, I mean that <sighs> they did move her up to April because they did figure, you know, Ooh, April when oh, we thanks. have one month of school left, then we'll be able to make a real good decision. Uh, you know, what you're telling me right now kind of mirrors another thing that happened to me the last couple of years, which is I've been twice inadvertently signed up for Montana Medicaid. Uh, when I go in and try to do my health insurance and healthcare.gov, uh, they don't tell you what the limits are for where you're below Medicaid limit and, and above it until you've actually filed it. So, yep. um, I think I was just on the border a couple times and then I immediately go back in and change it. But because I initially did that below the threshold, I just immediately get fed into the st state system as yes, a Medicaid recipient. Yes, you do. And you know, I took me this last time eight months to get off of that. I ended up having to pay two months of premiums because they're like, well, you didn't tell us in time. I was like, well, you know, I couldn't like go to an office. I can't call anyone. Um, I send emails. I get one word responses back a week later that don't solve any of it. Just sort of ignore and gloss over my problem. Uh, I, I government efficiency for amount we fucking pay right now. Well, and I guarantee you, I mean, this this directly relates to uh, our last election cycle when our incumbent mayor, John Engen, was running against Lisa Tripke. That I guarantee you that was a similar situation that Lisa Tripke faced, okay? She's in a divorce that becomes a part of this campaign to smear her. Um, as, as someone then that might be leaving her partner's um, insurance, she would then have to go and file for insurance. Uh, my wife and I went through the process, and we had this kick-ass guy named Bob who helped us through it. I mean, Bob was a wizard at doing this. Um, and he explained and he knew kind of like uh, at what limit things were going to um, immediately send us over to Medicaid. And so because he knew all this, he helped us navigate it. And I was just kind of fascinated because I'm like, wow, this this requires the expertise of someone like Bob. Right. And so if Lisa or you, you know, actually get that sort of automatic enrollment um, to actually get off, it becomes a fucking nightmare. Yeah. It becomes a nightmare. Especially when government services are so inaccessible because they all want to work from home or work from Cancun. And Montana wasn't good pre-pandemic. I worked at um, Missoula Aging Services, and so that's an area agency on aging. 
that works um, and represents Missoula County, but um, they were constantly sort of ahead of the ahead of the curve when it came to the state DPHHS. Um, I mean, I to the point where I wonder what goes on in Helena in terms of just like what's in the water. I mean, well, it's, it's I do want to say if we were talking about this subject completely apart from politics, it would make a lot of sense to me that when it gets colder and when kids are going back to school and people are off vacation and coming back to work, we're probably going to see another wave. We're going to see people packed back into buildings together. We're going to see more human contact. So it makes sense that there would be some sort of COVID uptick at this point in time, you know, but here's the reality. Here, here's the reality. Okay. The reality is parents are starting to get so burned out with quarantine bullshit um, they are going to start hiding symptoms and um, yeah. keeping kids at home and not having them tested. That's going to start happening if it's not already happening in, in significant ways. Because I know I've kept my kids home with just a sniffle. We're like, oh, we can't send them. And it's just a sniffle. And then you, you think back um, to our last uh, winter season where apparently influenza and the flu disappeared because of the lockdown mask measures. But somehow the COVID was still a big emergency. You know, it's 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 so fucking illogical how, how this stuff is playing out um, but if you try and bring attention to that it's like no you just we want to control your kids with the, the stuff on their faces to, for, it's for you we're, we're, we're so it's for you well for I mean safety. the thing is if we continue sending our kids to these failing schools before COVID with no accountability to whether they actually teach the kids then it makes complete sense that we'll continue sending them no matter what they do no matter what the crazy uh, regulations or anything are um yeah, do we have anything more to say about the COVID numbers? No, no, no. Um, we, we can maybe kind of just hop into this whole like uh, parents thing. Um, it's, it's pretty uh, pretty similar. Um, according to, this is kind of coming from Zero Hedge, a news aggregator. Um, One day after a North Carolina school board adopted a policy that would dis discipline or dismiss teachers if they incorporate critical race theory into their teaching of the history of the United States, the Epoch Times Ivan uh, Pinchukov reports that Attorney General Merrick Garland on October 4th announced a concentrated effort to target any threats of violence, intimidation, and harassment by parents towards school personnel. The announcement also comes days after a National Association of School Boards asked the Biden administration to take, quote, extraordinary measures to prevent alleged threats against school staff that the association said was coming from parents who oppose mask mandates and the teaching of critical race theory. So, Right at this point, I want to say that I used my free speech maker called a megaphone. I stood opposite of the um, United Way, right? And I spoke about what, what I, I see as corruption with, I spoke my truth, Tim, okay? And I have heard that that resulted in um, United Way staff having, having direct um, sort of, uh, their direction is to call 911 on me, right? If, 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 the, if I'm seen in the area, Right. And then this is where a school board member works. Right. She controls in part. Um, she's she in, helps influence pre-K funding through the zero to five program. And so this is a real life, tangible school board member that is now I know claimed to feel unsafe because of me, a parent um, and me, a person who also is a citizen journalist trying to uncover some serious corruption in this town. Right. And, and so, you know, it's it's it, it makes this is a this has a chilling effect on me. Right. Um, because this is a pretty alarming use of federal resources um, at the behest of school boards that um, are, are at this point of not feeling like, I mean, they're not working with real numbers. If they're not taking some of this, this recent data and if they're still trying to like keep this, this um, you know, stuff in, in I, I'm getting worked up. 
Yeah, Save me, Tim. It's, I, I, here's the thing. I mean, it's sort of the, the issue we're talking about with government services because I feel there's a lot of people out there. We had my mom on a couple of weeks ago. They've been navigating retirement and moving my dad into these healthcare systems for the government because they're required to do it at a certain age. And they really start to feel that they're being discouraged, that the bureaucracy, the hoops they have to jump through, all the regulations is really meant just to keep them out of the system and not use it. When I talk about the Medicaid system, it's supposed to be helpful. And, and you know, I'm sure those numbers look good to the people at the policy level. But to me, uh, you know, being sent a bill every month, which I'm supposed to write a check and send back to Seattle, by the way. I don't know why our state's Medicaid system is being run through a P.O. box in Seattle, Washington. But, uh, you know, maybe GN4 take a look at that if he actually wants to bring money back to Montana. And, and just even civic participation. Like, in December of 2019, I remember going to that big, I told you I went in like a Donald Trump slash Santa thing. And I yeah, got, yeah. we were getting in people's faces. There were people <laughs> screaming. There were people insulting each other. There's several drunk Democrats that I was like inches away from their face. And they're like oh, screaming into my mouth, which now that I know about COVID, you know, maybe that was not the best idea for them or for me. But uh, <laughs> there was no violence. Like no one raised a fist. Um, and I, I also find this interesting when we look at the images coming out of Australia or Europe. The game can be played differently if we all say there's no guns involved, okay? You can go out and fight a cop in Australia or go out and fight a cop in the UK if you know that they're not going to shoot you or you're going to shoot them. We don't have those kind of disagreements here. If, if you get into an escalation, it's assumed that no one's going to use like deadly force, but we have the right to carry a gun right on our hip openly oh, in most of the states. Yeah. And, 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 and we still, it's, it should maybe be surprising that we don't have as much violence. Over the last couple of years, that hasn't been true, but... To, to characterize shouting or or th the fact that they think they can only interact with the people who pay their salaries via their home office on their computer screen on a Zoom meeting is, you know, it's just unfair. It's just another display of power and, and the cry bullying that goes on where they feel unsafe. This is the thing I saw in the universities where at least when I got my first degree from like 02 to 06, I was allowed to have a seat at the table. I was allowed to express my viewpoint. When I came back in 2011, it had flipped. Okay, to the left at that point, a different viewpoint is actually violence. You know, right. misgendering someone is being violent against a trans person. Just saying the wrong thing is a microaggression, which is violence. And this is how they're classifying this thing as people approaching school boards saying, we're going to keep you accountable, screaming at them, pointing oh. in their face. That to them is actual the same as like physical violence. So so in that context, um, apparently I was pretty violent on, on, on Saturday. Um, what a great perfect segue in terms of, you know, talking about messy protests. To discussing the fact that that there's actually been two Saturdays now, back to back, that I I went with some people that are are going to consistently be there on Saturdays at the county courthouse um, to oppose mask mandates, vaccine requirements, um, these kind of things, right? And so I was there with a small group of people, not realizing there was going to be a very large group of people last Saturday um, in support of abortion rights, you know. And so I've never been someone that's that's been very vocal on 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 that particular wedge issue on one side or the other, right? Um, but but here I, I felt I felt called by a higher spirit, um, possibly my own uh, conscience saying you know opportunity to be obnoxious. I did get my free speech maker. Um, I got it out and I I very loudly was speaking my truth again about. Um, are these people going to stand up for my rights to not get vaccinated? Um, do they care about black people dying in our community? Um, you know, what kind of justice is actually going on in that county courthouse? And I was then approached by a stern looking Marilyn Marler 
who's a state rep now. She used to be in city council here in Missoula and she had a cadre of, you know, angry looking men around her, just like everyone's very like angry. And, and so she approached me in, in a not social distancing kind of way. And, um, and so I, I was like, Oh, Hey Marilyn, if I, uh, if I knew that there was some like justice happening in that building, maybe I'd be less angry. You, if you want to help me be less angry, maybe, you know, I, I don't know if that's exactly what I said. I'm paraphrasing in my own sort of heightened frustration, um, at the moment, but it, you know, it was interesting because I went back um, to kind of process that that interaction because I didn't want to continue using my megaphone. I wanted to give them their stage um, to support their rights to terminate pregnancies. And so I went and I wrote a little post and I used a little screenshot of Marilyn. And then I texted her a link to my interview with uh, with Sean Stevenson's sisters just so that she can have a better understanding. I, I, I pushed that link on many, many people so that they know where I'm coming from, um, because we're going to be getting into that uh, a little bit later. But um, some of the stuff before before I, I stop kind of ranting a bit, some of the most troubling interactions during that that Saturday was with young women, the the teeny boppers with colored hair. Oh, um, they are true believers. I saw the pictures of the one out of Helena, and you see like a dude, 15 year old girl, and she dude. and they only have like five or six slogans, so they all just put the slogan, you know. And one of them was like, "Why am I still having to deal with this shit?" Dude, I was they like, came You're at 15. us. 15. What are you talking? They about? came at us in packs, yelling at us about our dicks and like the size of them. You know, mine's I was, okay. I did want to touch on that because yeah. I look there. There's like political theater. You wanted to touch like, on my dick, Tim? Sure, maybe after the podcast. Yeah, uh, baby. What? But it's it's interesting that people who scream about all the gender stereotypes and we need to accept, you know, a feminine gay man, we need to accept why why are they this is the thing I also notice online uh, about some of the Democrats on Twitter is is they they use the same sort of mocking and name calling that Trump used, okay? Yeah. And, yeah. and I interesting. thought I didn't Trump make that was connection. evil and we're supposed to elevate the dialogue and yet here they are, Trumpish Mohan, Trumpish. It's a provocation. You know, or uh, what, they have ones about Danes and Gianforte or Greedy Craig or California Steve. I was like, oh, it, are, it, are you supposed to be better? How are you falling to my level? And also, isn't that like the uh, classic example of toxic masculinity to go up to a man and say he's not a man because of his dick size? Like, it's just the heightened, uh, the, the exact hypocrisy that you were on the one hand trying to say we shouldn't judge people based on these like masculine fe feminine yeah, no, characteristics it, it was and intense. then throwing these insults out the first second you notice anyone has a different opinion what, what to a, put them down. One like, of the worst things. That was the point of them saying that, right? Oh, well, they, they want wanted to make you feel bad. They wanted to be like, uh, the only reason you come protest dead babies because you have a small dick. Like, what are you well, talking I, no, about? I see it as like, you know, again, not, not a high level of maturity we're talking about, but um, in order <clears throat> in order to get a, a reaction and hopefully maybe a reaction then that, that um, causes them to have uh, validation in their victim status. Well, and it's just simply transphobic, okay? If I have to sit here and listen to the CDC tell me that there's no such thing as women, there's pregnant people, that there's bodies with vaginas, then then how do you know that you're not trans? And yeah, you don't have, have maybe, a penis. You know, you didn't have a, a bottom surgery or something. How, how are you going to insult a trans man and say he has a small dick? Isn't that like the ultimate emasculation of a trans person to like comment on their genitals? They don't seem open-minded to me at all or living the values that they, you know, seem to be preaching here. Yeah, no, it was, it was, it was pretty bizarre. One of the, the challenges is there was a, uh, a guy in his sixties that was very um, loud and very kind of not, not afraid to just kind of engage on a very also not mature level. And it was funny because he kind of went after me for a second because you know me, I dress in my, in my black and leather and I, I look hip and kick ass. 
Right. And so he he made the assumption I was part of like the let's uh, terminate pregnancy rah rah oh, yeah. situation. And so so he had to be told by some of the other activists, don't don't know he's with us. And I ended up talking to this guy for a while because this guy gave zero fucks. And I'm like, this guy needs to actually calm the fuck down. I'm going to talk to him a bit. It was really interesting. He worked his whole life on the trains. His dad uh, left the family when he was four. Um, mom kicked ass, raised a bunch of kids. You know, he put in his time. Um, he was in the military and and now he just doesn't give a shit about um, talking about Jesus. I mean, the guy is very much like saved by Jesus. And I, and I kept on trying to see, get him to see a bit. I'm like, well, you know, did, would Jesus want you kind of getting people to react in angry ways? Like, oh, I don't care. I'm speaking my truth. I know I have a loud voice. But the more I talked to him, I kind of calmed him down. And so um, one of the things I know that uh, I'm hearing as people are getting into these protest spaces, maybe sometimes for the first time, is like avoid those pr- provocative um, engagements that people are trying to get you to react. You have to have more control than other people out there. Mm-hmm. Um, and realize that if you don't, um, if you don't do some of your own sort of crowd management, then that is a, a potential point that will be exploited by by folks. I've been listening to again, you know, Binkley and, and Monica Perez, the propaganda report, and uh, Binkley often gives that advice as people are are doing that because um, I don't know if you remember seeing that dude with dreads that talked about Fauci. You know, it's like this extreme comment, and it's like one of the one of the comments that people remember because you know it was at a school board meeting. It was extreme and kind of funny and hilarious, but it, it's what sunk into people's minds. So. You know, what I talked about earlier with the 13 year old girl talking about um, migraine headaches, that's not getting out there in, in people's heads. They're they're thinking of the craziest image. No, in their but heads. can I comment on something we haven't actually talked about or put on the list? Yeah. But something that did happen was local Missoulian reporter Jordan Hansen going on social media yes, saying I, how disappointed he is he can't go into the COVID wards and photograph people on their deathbeds. Well, so so I, I did I did want I'm glad you brought that up because um you brought up the point that obviously there's privacy issues, but my my initial thought is um so you're getting denied access to the actual space you know, isn't that a, a red flag for what might be going on in that space? But I mean, did you get the sense that he wanted to get like the human interest piece, like wanted to get faces of people or? I don't think it matters. I think if you're going to call yourself a journalist and you need to abide by journalistic ethics and the law, journalistic ethics say you don't do things just to be sensationalized and right. get clicks and views. You know, the old adage, if it bleeds, it leads. Apparently, if it's on a COVID intubulator, you know, you need to go get a secret picture of it. You know, D- Democrat for PSC4, Kev Ham, uh, suggested that he go and works, uh, you know, undercover with the nurses to secretly record people, even if the hospital wouldn't let them in to take the pictures. I'm like, what is the point here? You want to put on the front page of the Missoulian people on their deathbed, people intubated? Like, this is the condescending, like, we need to make you what? see. Like, did you ever watch, uh, was it Bird Box, the one where they can't look or the or the monsters look oh, at them. Oh yeah. So there's a meme online yeah. of like the guy is murdering another woman in the movie by like forcibly holding her eyeballs open, yeah, which ends yeah. up killing her in the movie. It's just that's what it struck me. He's like, you need to look at these dead COVID. Bo- you need to see this freezer more so you can understand how right I am. Well, so I mean, early early on, there was attempts by people to get into hospitals because there were claims that there was like nothing going on. That all like all these hospitals were full, but it was empty. And so yeah, this became we- part of this conspiracy meme back then was you know the empty empty hospitals, um, and. Uh, 
Oh, I had another point I was going to make, but now I'm 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 spacing it. What were you no, but say? I didn't understand. Like, and he actually blocked me on Twitter. I thought maybe today on the oh, podcast the we one. should call his boss and be like, "Hey, do you support this?" I mean, there's zero communication between the leadership of our local news. They you were the one not, he blocked. They would rather run every single news agency in this town completely into the ground than than even think of giving another opinion or that they might be wrong about something. It's it's self destructive. Let's the talk about the Missoulian. Let's talk about the Missoulian because um, the Missoulian is one of our main local newspapers. Um, you know, I actually, um, in, in making fun of Martin Kidston and his inability to string together co- coherent sentences, you know, that actual article is about the Missoulian property being rezoned because it's going, the property is being sold. Yep. Um, no one knows who the actual buyer is. Lee Enterprises is running interference um, as they're I'm trying sure to get I'm sure it's it. some former Grizzly football player now working as who a real estate agent knows? for Deathstop Willis McDonald. Did you know they got a million dollars in COVID money? Oh. I, I told you that, right? That's interesting. I think you did tell yeah, me that. Yeah, we'll deep that's, dive on that another day. That is very interesting. Well, so one of the things with the Missoulian, um and this this actually relates to the Montana Racial Equity Project. So let's kind of shift into that because um, I, I, I've been in contact with one Missoulian reporter and it's very brief texts and, and I haven't texted this person in, in a while. But um, when I realized it was Johnny Lee Perry who was shot and killed by sheriff deputies, by Missoula County sheriff deputies, um, I was I was pretty worried about, um, you know, kind of the dynamics of what's going on. There is still no specific information about um, names of the deputies involved, but um, it was brought to my attention. I don't know how I missed this, but it was brought to my attention that there is now a statement um, from the Montana Racial Equity Project. And so I'm going to read this statement. And you haven't heard this yet, um, so no. you, you can you can react to it um, after I, I read this. So the Montana Racial Equity Project mourns the loss of yet another person of color at the hands of police. On August 29, 2021, Johnny Lee Perry II, a black man, was shot and killed by the Missoula County Sheriff's Department. Perry was a son, father, and fellow Montanan deserving of human dignity. Regardless of race, class, housing status, or state of mental health, no one deserves to die at the hands of police. This was a tremendous loss to the community. Johnny Lee Perry II deserves transparent justice and accountability. The media has released a booking photo to portray Perry as a criminal, even though he was never prosecuted for a crime. This is an example of the continuous perpetuation of shameful stereotypes about um, BIPOC people. It also serves as a racist justification for his summary execution. Perry's past incident has no bearing upon the incident which led to his death. The Missoula County Sheriff's Office should have used their prior contact with Perry as evidence of the need for the local crisis response team. Oh, I didn't read that part. All right. I didn't initially know that. Okay. Um, And in conclusion, um, MTREP, so the Montana um, Racial Racial Equity Project, is demanding the release of any dash cam or body cam footage of the incident along with the names of the Missoula County Sheriff's deputies involved in the shooting. MTREP also demands a full and transparent evaluation of the events leading to the death of Johnny Lee Perry II. BIPOC across Montana deserve justice. I think they left out the people. BIPOC people across Montana deserve justice, accountability, and freedom from discriminatory policing. I have a project just mulling in the back of my head where I actually try to find if all these like dark money groups in the state are funded by the same people. One thing I thought was really cool when I was in Washington state during election is they actually have a 
you know how we have to have disclaimer on our election materials. Uh, they require that they put like the top donors, the top three donors to every organization actually go on the sign. I thought they should do that with all the dark money pieces they run in the Missoulian opinion section. Like who's who's I mean, who funds the Montana Racial Equality Project? Who is it just people in Montana? Is it outside money? It'd be an interesting thing to know, especially when they're so involved in politics. So it's it's a very it's a very um it's a very difficult situation. Um, I spent 10 years well, in the nonprofit sector. Um, I am now in a, in a different place in looking at nonprofits because, um, you know, if anyone listening um, has not followed my, my blog, uh, I've been very critical of, Mo- of the Montana Human Rights Network um, specifically. I have been in contact with people at the Montana Human Rights Network. I went to college with their co-director, Rachel Carol uh, Rivas. And so, um, you know, I am trying to get that information out there um, just simply about what what um, Sean Stevenson's family continues to have questions about relating to what happened to Sean because you know in that in this statement that I just read um, when they say prior incident you know Johnny Lee Perry was initially um, arrested for physically assaulting Sean Stevenson on January 3rd 2020 okay Johnny was not officially you know charged with that crime he was released but I have been trying to bring attention to these dynamics for almost two years now, almost two years, right? And so I have been in contact with people at the Montana Racial Equity Project. I have sent them links um, to the, the to the interview. And so, you know, th- I don't want to, um, th- this is not about sort of me and my inquiries, right? I, I ultimately would like to understand what happened to Sean. Well, and it's and really I, part of a larger thing is why do we continue to allow i think you know we we have on the list to talk about the zinke speech last night from the from the church when he came over to cross point church Mm -hmm. and you know that the sense i really got from people is we are just fed up and and frustrated because the immigration the two hundred thousand people a month we have a big group of four hundred thousand immigrants coming up now um we're, we're bringing in the refugees from afghanistan these aren't getting worse. We aren't bringing them to a better place. There's tons of people. The whole West Broadway corridor of town now just looks like the walking dead. Almost every business for like a six, eight block residence is up for sale. People are just trying to get out because they are sick of the issues not being dealt with. Uh, it's just tent cities all along there. So I, I want to jump in really quickly because I had um, an opportunity to work now clo- more closely with Roy McKenzie at Missoula County Tyranny. So my first article was submitted and published over there on Saturday um, because on Friday, um, as we, we were eating lunch kind of in before and after, um, I was working on this tip that $100 gift certificates were given to people at the Cedar Street encampment. So this kind of pop-up homeless encampment right by the Pavarilla Center that became such a um, problem that the health department really forced the hand of, of um, the Pavarilla Center in the city. Well, you know, th- there's more to that story that I wasn't able to confirm, but I was able to confirm talking to the uh, manager at the Fresh Market that there were $100 gift certificates coming into the grocery store. So you know, I tried contacting the mayor's office. They confirmed a program, um, but then got very defensive. Um, and then I, I called and left a message at the Pavarello Center, have not heard anything back since then. My understanding is that um, additional gift certificates had to be given to residents inside the POV to kind of, you know, keep them quiet. And that um, some Pavarilla staff may have left and being upset about all of this. And that really this this was really coming from the mayor's office to, to get this encampment gone because it was a visual problem. Yeah. Um, and to make it, it go is. away fast, uh, the gift certificate certainly helped toward that end. So that was reporting that I did 
Um, I submitted as a donation that first article, but um, Roy will pay for content and has a metric to, to be used. Um, and I did get a donation because of, because of that piece. And so while it wasn't a direct transactional uh, situation, um, it, it's a really great chance to continue networking out a bit with people that are bringing information well, to people in, in a way that's not mediated by, by corporate media um, because there's a lot of mediation. And going. I want to point out two things, okay? Number one, the things that happen when a citizen journalist or just a regular person go and try to get information, like we've talked about the difficulty trying to get uh, government people to assist us. Uh, when we go try to find information, we are rebuffed, we are ghosted, we are ignored. Uh, you know, when a reporter from the Missoulian goes down, well, the PR guy will hear and he'll tell you and he'll give you this statement and he'll email it right over. And it, it creates this chasm between what the news media is, is not interested in investigating. They just want to put the story out there. They're happy to type up the press release and do a news story and, and, and take it out. And then the rest of town reads the Missoulian, sees one thing, and then drives down West Broadway and sees the complete opposite. And it's like, there is a big chasm. This was the... Okay, let me talk about Roy also for a minute because something happened that I don't think has been reported anywhere and I don't think he'd mind me talking about this, but he was loath to report it himself since he's a subject of the interview. He put up a post, uh, I think maybe a week or two ago on Missoula County Tyranny, just basically stating Vondine Kopetsky has done a poor job. She's not been a good advocate for Republicans. She's not run, you know, made a really good, strong running opposition to our local government. She in many ways has been, you know, in complacent and worked with the government to get the stuff they want done. And so he showed up to the Missoula County uh, Central Committee, I think it was last week, and he said hi to Von Dean, and she commented she didn't like the article. And then he's like, oh, well, he was waiting for another member there because they were going to all meet, and he thought it was an open meeting of Republicans. And she said, no, this is a private group. You have to leave. And then she called 911, and Whoa. from what I heard, yeah. basically uh, claimed a lot more that she was feeling threatened, that he was you know, being intimidating to members, et cetera. He was literally just waiting around for another member who was there to, to work on something they had in common. She kicked his ass out. Like, wow. this is... And, wow. and, and this is what I don't understand. If, if you really are trying to build something, uh, then you have to be able to stand up to criticism. And as far as I know, Von Dean is one who has never been able to, to in, in my opinion, she has a very thin skin. And if she can't stand someone just putting a paragraph that she did a bad job or should resign anywhere online, and that means you can never come to a central committee meeting ever again or ever participate in Missoula County Republican politics, then that's fucking bullshit to me. Yeah. And that needs to be known to people, that if the only condition you can work on local Republican politics is kissing Bondine's ass and agreeing with everything she said, then it's not a Republican organization anymore, in my opinion. Missoula County and Missoula City, you know, politics in terms of um, what Republicans have done recently is a joke. And Greg Strandberg has done a great job of covering um, the fact that they didn't even pay into that polling system. What or what? What was that system that she didn't pay like the couple thousand dollars? I to don't know. There's a few maintain, out there, but I know what you mean. We need to maintain a the functioning database party access. has to have resources, and that includes a database or a subscription to something that tells you who the Republicans are, tells you who the Democrats are. The Democrats all have it. Every one of their dark money groups has it. So there's some, I'm sure, right wing equivalent that they have to subscribe to, and it's just a, a necessary well, cost to do business. Here, here. So what effort was done by by Von Dean or anyone within sort of the conservative GOP in, in Missoula? to vet Jacob Elder because what ended up happening is you have this um, late-ass endorsement of Sean Knopp, too little, too late, um, because Jacob Elder has been wanting to be mayor since he was apparently like five years old, right? I want to be mayor of this town. Um, <laughs> more like seven years is what he told us when we interviewed him back in March and tried to sort of do that vetting. Wow, does it seem... 
a long time. It ago. doesn't even seem that long. It seems like years ago. Yeah, um, it's, it's been a, it's been a long run for for that one. But but you have such a a, a really pathetic um, presence. I mean, virtual non presence. No, but of this the, pissed me off last night at the Zinky thing too, because then people are like, "We need to make sure and get Jacob Alder elected." I was like, "You should have been doing this two years ago." Like, yeah. Why, to, to, why didn't you have a better candidate on board, like recruited? Did, did no one vet him? Did no one talk to him? Did they see black guy Marine and be like, "Well, our job's done. We're yeah. cruising till next year." Like instead, instead he's now like at the center of like rape capital 2.0. I mean, like you thought John Krakauer's you know run at this place was bad. Um, when you have reporting saying that you know there are deans at the at the law school, yeah, that, that this are, stuff that's coming out is pretty damning. The the bad. discrimination lawsuits and then the undercover reporting uh, that's going on, I think, by the Daily Montanan. Daily Montanan, yeah, I believe so. so. So give Kyla credit on that one. I'll give you credit on that one, Kyla. But it's it's interesting as we look. Um, it's sort of at you know some of these some of these dynamics are, are well, pretty can I fascinating. keep talking about the zinky thing that yes, was a please. pretty big yes, event and you know the only question i actually did ask him in the q a portion was i wanted to know the the redistricting meeting is meeting at two o'clock today so they took a bunch of oh, maps really? submitted by the public and they're now going to try to narrow those down to a certain choices and you know what i told ryan zinky was we know the one thing democrats care about above all else is power they they don't put themselves and weasel them way themselves into positions of power not to exercise it we know that this is a three to two con Democrat controlled commission and they're going to the, the map. I am 100 percent confident that's going to come out of there is going to be as favorable to them as possible. Course, so I asked yeah. Ryan Zinke, are you going to be involved in this? Are you going to uh, you know, if this map is, is really drawn because he's for sure going to be running in this district. That's what he said. Uh, is, is there any way you step in or comment or try to influence how it looks or do you just let it go and then run? And he said, you know, I'm pretty confident that no matter how they draw the map, I can win it. So I'm not going to get involved in the redistricting committee's work. So there's some news for you. Yeah, no. But, OK, let yeah. me keep going. Uh, the, the thing that really pissed me off and the thing that was, seemed to be most, you know, energizing to the crowd last night uh was the immigration and the afghan refugee stuff and still he's still. out there you know he gave a great speech at the beginning about you know the people were left behind the women documentarians having their legs chopped off like giving them complete list of everyone who helped us so the taliban can go murder them all it, it really is a complete disgrace what we left there in afghanistan and for him and all the people the veterans that he works with it is a huge black eye in america and they can't believe that this happened well now we're in a situation where we have to take in the Afghan refugees. And uh, there's a state senator named Ken Bogner who actually ran with Dr. Al uh, for governor. And he put out a statement uh, saying, you know, because I grew up with Montana values and the military values of honor, we need to welcome these refugees and we need to bring them here. And of course, our Republican uh, state auditor, Troy Downing, chimed in and said, I concur. That's right. OK, let me point out one thing. Troy Downing moved here from California as a millionaire and lives in Big Sky, Montana, I believe in the Yellowstone Club, one of the richest zip codes in the entire state. Uh, and you know who also commented on on Troy was Lola Zinke. Ryan Zinke's wife said, yeah, we need to open our hearts and minds to these people. OK, you live in Whitefish and you also live in California part time. Please, Good the people Lord, who only live in the whitest, richest enclaves, don't lecture us about bringing Afghan refugees here. OK, it's not even been two weeks and we've already had stories of Afghan refugees sexually assaulting children on, on the military bases, beating up their wives. Uh, I believe it was Fort McCoy where a group of them actually sexually assaulted a female service member. Uh, these are the people you want to bring in? You think we can vet them enough to bring in? And and when we're living 
in Missoula, where the, the price of a house is now approaching $400,000 and a place like Bozeman, where the price of a house is approaching $800,000. Oh and we regularly, we, we're, we're building our fourth and fifth homeless centers here in Montana. At the south end of town, we have people facing their second cold as shit Montana winter outside in a tent. And you want to lecture us about bringing in refugees? It makes no sense at all to me. And the fact I didn't call Ryan out on it because I don't think it's widely known that these things have been and been on social media. Yeah, but, yeah. but the fact of the matter is, please don't tell me about military. I thought the whole reason we were fighting wars in the Middle East was because we fought them over there because we didn't want to bring the problems here. And now we, we, we we're happy to bring them here because, you know, they might vote a certain way. It's, it's well, and again, I, I will, I will me remind listeners that um, I've been um, talking critically about Missoula becoming a, a location for the international uh, refugee resettlement program. And so on September 30th, and so this is, you know, less than a week ago, the title of my post was the unstated competition between YWCA homeless families and refugees in Missoula, because the <clears throat> that was me. a good post. Well, thank you. And it's 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 a frustrating thing to have to to put these two things side by side. But I think it needs to be done more. Um, one of the quotes about the YWCA, you know, they've raised millions of dollars. They have a new facility opening. And then you have a quote like this. The families that we are working with often just can't compete with other renters when they are applying for housing in Missoula, Margulis said. We really need more landlords and property management companies to partner with us and say, okay, I'm going to rent to these families. I'm going to take a leap of faith, even if they don't have the best credit or renter's history. You know, credit and renter's history is one of the things I've been talking about. You know, that's also something that a lot of the refugees that, that are coming in don't have. And then I, I, I switched to um, another article, and this is a, um, I can't remember which, uh, what exactly it's from, but it's the link in the post. And the quote is, um, the first of 75 Afghans arrived in Missoula on Sunday. They came on special immigrant visas and now as humanitarian parolees through the Afghan Placement and Assistant Program. At-risk Afghan nationals are granted humanitarian parole status over fear for their lives as the Taliban takes over Afghanistan. The APA program is designed, and I, I bolded this part, it's designed to provide refugees with resettlement services for 30 to 90 days after they arrive in the United States. I know people who have been waiting for years to get housing vouchers in this town. I know people who, after that, they get the housing voucher and they still can't find landlords willing to rent to them. Yeah. Not, not Especially the, the property management companies that charge 40 bucks a, a pop just to submit an application. Now, make sure we don't use the three completely empty dorms at U of M for any housing, okay? Let's turn that into offices because we've dealt with this housing situation. That what U of M told us. I, I, it's, it's insane. It's this, insane. Okay. I, this is where Ryan Zinke lost me last night, okay? Yeah, because yeah. he kept coming back to a certain point. He's like, we wouldn't be in this situation if we hadn't lost Georgia. If Republicans would have showed up and voted for the Republicans in Georgia, you know, there was that special runoff in December where right. both Democrats won, and it was very obvious uh, that Republicans didn't show up, and that's the reason both of the Democrats won, okay? We will show up if there was someone good to vote for. When we just watched a Republican Secretary of State, Brad Raffsberger, and a Republican Governor, Jack Kemp, tell us there was nothing wrong with that election, when you can see video of your own eyes, you know, of, the, of them bringing people in, of, of lying to the, the political observers, saying there's a water main break, we need everyone out of the building, then they start counting the ballots again. Yeah, we'll go vote if we believe it's going to happen, and there's a Republican who's going to stand up to our values. But when he kept coming back to it, you know, it's our fault that we're in this position because we just didn't go vote the 51st Republican. And this is really our, you know, if we show up, we can change it. 
fuck you do? You know, you, you know what? Anyone you aren't dealing with this housing situation. You're endorsing people from other countries coming here. Like it's just anyone will or anyone that, that, that might be listening to this and, and, and that's frustrated um, about Zinke's lack of awareness that, that Fulton County is is still actually seeing a challenge by Garland Favorito. Um, and his organization dealing with election integrity. I mean, this is another area where, again, I have to mention the the prop report, the propaganda report, because uh, Brad Binkley and Monica Perez are doing, I think, almost weekly updates with Garland because in Fulton County, Georgia, this is the man that is a nonpartisan who is doing the work um, and has done amazing work to basically, you know, take these affidavits of poll workers that see all of these ballots that don't have creases, that have ink, you know, um, instead of being marked in. And and the fact that he's taken it so far and it's ongoing, I mean, this is still an ongoing case. And so, um, you know, obviously Zinke is not aware of this, but um, that's... that's. I and, will disagree with you because oh, you someone he, asked him about this and I was surprised really? because, I mean, there's no audio video recording in that church, so it's only the people in the room like me who actually heard him, but he seems to be full on board with this Montana election integrity thing that's going oh, on. Oh, so, so, so he's been aware I, of those presentations. I've been trying and, to get up yeah. to speed to it. I found that they actually put the presentation that you went to last week online. Uh, I think that's really, two weeks ago now, but yes, yeah, I'm glad it's online. And perhaps, but he, he used like 4,000 ballots in Missoula County don't have the he, he seemed to know oh, good, the details good, good. of it and be fully on board which kind of surprised me as a guy running for office i i think is a bit risky to at this point i haven't seen all the evidence that the state republicans have but i probably wouldn't have popped quite on board uh but he did he was open about supporting it so that's what's also kind of crazy to me is, is telling us like we have valid reasons for this and one of the ladies actually pressed him pretty hard on immigration because you know, he just gave the standard thing about what's happening. She's like, I asked you what we're going to do, not what's going on. Oh, and he's right like, on. oh, well, we're going to vet them and deport them, vet them and deport them. It's like, okay, well. It's so interesting. Um, I know how you vet people from a tribal mountain nation of goat herders. Like, I mean, they allow, you know, kid fucking and opium ward lords and, and, and child brides. So I I don't know how you're going to say the, who the bad people are, but okay. You know, I tell you what, man, they um both both political brands of the duopoly are in trouble, um, Democrats and Republicans. It's, it's interesting, though, because on the on the conservative side, leaving the Republican reservation is is basically entering extremist like wilderness. You know, if you and that's because that's in part the way that this um, rolling integrity project has been depicted by people like the, or groups like the Montana Human Rights Network. Um, you know, if you go to one of these these organizations or one of these presentations that talks about Republicans not caring about the the lack of integrity in our voting system, the fallibility of voting software, the lack of receipt, you know, stuff that like shouldn't matter to anyone that mm -hmm. wants integrity in our system. You know, these people are saying Republicans like this broken system, too. You know, people forget um, Ohio 2004. Now, there was some pretty good uh, evidence that Ohio was going for Bush in a way that yeah, the, the exit polling was not not indicating. Um, and, you know, lo and behold, some guy made the mistake of hopping in a little airplane and flying. And the airplane blows up or crashes and Carl Rove goes, yeah, cool. That guy was going to give a deposition, but he's fucking dead. Um, and we just get better and better with our elections, apparently every cycle. So here well, we are. The, the, the thing I don't understand is why are they so against an audit? I mean, shouldn't every function of government, except for very few, maybe like CIA or, or foreign intelligence, shouldn't that all be completely open to the public? Doesn't it give them more confidence in the oh, system? That's, that's cute. This is, 
But I it th- should. Yes, this it, is the brand. Answer, yes. You know, I, I I have my in-laws here this weekend. Uh, my spouse crashed my car. He didn't do it on purpose. So wait, but wait, I have wait, to wait. give him shit. It's a brand new car. I've had it four so months. So he crashed your car and you got rear-ended by some some team? Well, he, I'm saying he crashed the car. Some 17-year-old hit the back of my car because oh, gotcha. didn't break in time. But Mercury Retrograde is killing all car action. The reason I bring this up is uh, there's a member of my family. Uh, they're what I would call the most liberal. They're the ones who watch The Daily Show. They're the ones who really were ever falling for Trump. They hate Trump now. Uh, but she made a comment to me, or one of them, she, so you know it's a woman. Uh, I can't believe how different I am from a year ago. If, if my, I'm so much more conservative now, the things I've seen happen by our government, I wouldn't even like be able to have a conversation with who I was a year ago. Wow. I don't think Democrats get... They are so confident and they're trying so hard to bring, you know, what, 200, 400,000 people a month across the border. They need to get us to the point where they don't even have to try to win elections anymore because they're betting their whole brand on what's going on right now, on these lockdowns, on these masks, on the fear, on on their relationships with big pharma, with big government, with Wall Street. And trillions and trillions coming to reshape society. Well, and think just a couple years ago. This is so strange to me, okay? When you get in, when Obama got in in 08 and 09, he spent pretty much all the political capital he had on health care. It's funny they're fighting with Manchin and Cinema now because if you go back to 09, 010, when they're trying to get Obamacare through, uh, there was a guy named Ben Nelson who was a, a senator from Nebraska, and he got very specifically written into the Obamacare bill that he would not vote for it unless he had an exemption for federal funding for Nebraska. And that's, there were several deals like that were made, and people are so pissed off about it that Obama lost the House and he lost all the ability to get you know a lot of stuff done versus when he had all the portions of Congress. And the same thing happened to Trump. And what did they do? McCain came up and they couldn't repeal Obamacare because McCain was so butthurt by Trump that he voted it down and kept Obamacare in place. So the one thing they got done was corporate tax breaks, okay? That was the big bill that Republicans got done in 2016, 2017, before they lost the House uh, in 2018. And yet now, who took more money from Wall Street was Biden. He took five times more money from Wall Street. He's Wall Street's, you know, guy. He was picked specifically because they could buy him off. They knew based on his whole family that who was easy to buy yeah, off. How Lord. did we go in two years from Republicans using every single inch of goodwill they could to get corporations what they wanted, lower taxes and higher profits, to two years later, you know, Black Lives Matter. Every store I go into has a pride flag in it. We th- Somehow in that two years, they've switched completely to being the, the Democrats of the side of Wall Street. The Democrats are the side of big pharma and big corporations. It's, it's crazy how that happens in just a blink of an eye where, you know, if you don't pay attention, you probably think things are the way they were just a couple years ago. It's upside down. I mean, this is the satanic inversion, man. That's what that's what I'm talking about. Hey, I don't believe in a lot of spiritual stuff you say, but I do believe in that one. <laughs> well, we should talk uh, briefly about our, our books because um, you are reading oh, books and I'm reading books. Our list? Uh, nah, not nah, really. Let's I not mean, worry we, about we, that. We have more of in the like, nonprofit world, but we can we can save that for another time. It's yeah. uh, it's not worth getting. Pitch into me that. on a book, Travis. Sorry, we're trying so, to not be evil, ranty about politics to every people. You know, we are complete human beings who have other thoughts in our head than, than politics. Well, so. I, I think I did mention last time the book I was reading about the Montana Freeman and these um, kind of professional CIs, confidential informants. Uh, I'm still reading that book. I haven't finished it yet. And I'm going to write something up about that and how their perspective on the 80s crack epidemic really seemed to sort of corrupt or at least reduce their trust in the handshakes they would get um, from federal agencies. 
But one of the books that I got is it's one of these kind of more pricier books because there's not a whole lot of them. And it's written, you know, self-published by maybe not self-published. I can't remember who publishes this. Um, I'll look real quickly, but it's published by Tracy Tyman, T-W-Y-M-A-N. And uh, she is sort of like an occultist that was studying like the Holy Grail mythos and done was doing a lot of comparative mythology back in the day. And this is about um, their Ouija board conversations with Baphomet and how they think the Baphomet sort of connected to this other um, uh, entity, Mithraeus, uh, these Mithraic cults. Um, because I, I increasingly think that the, at the top that there's some kind of like old world, old religion death cult going on that they believe this stuff. And so part of my pitch has always been um, you might think this cr- shit sounds crazy and that's fine. Um, I hope it's crazy, but if, if people with money and power believe in this stuff and are acting on it, then maybe we should take it seriously. And so, um, you know, it, and it, it's even interesting. Did be- you say the name of the book? Oh, I have not yet. It's called clock shavings and it's got a nice big picture of Baphomet. Um, this is the Elias Levi drawing of, of this entity and it's, you know, transsexual, right? It's got boobs, mm-hmm. um, goat heads, wings, but it's been interesting because um, this book... You the hermit thing in the back? What is... Yeah. No, no, no. On the front. This. What is that? That's the symbol for hermeticism. It's one of the tarot, the hermit. Oh, okay. I think it's also it's, associated... It's my spirit Hermes. animal in the tarot, so that's why I know what it looks like. Awesome. It's, it's very interesting. I, I am reading this in addition to watching the Midnight Mass on Netflix. I haven't finished it. I don't want to give any spoilers, but... Um, it's a, it's an interesting reinterpretation of, um, what an angel might be. And there's narrative elements that make me think of Donnie Darko, which is a great movie to watch this time of year in October. And it also makes me think of Philip K. Dick and, um, a really interesting Bishop that he was friends with. That was part this guy was the character, um, the Bishop character in the transmigration of Timothy Archer. So that's one of Philip K. Dick's, uh, last three books. And the, the, this character in the story disappears and he, he does this in real life. The Bishop disappears in Israel into the desert and dies. Hmm. Um, and in the, in the show I'm watching on Netflix, the Bishop disappears in the desert and ends up finding this cavern and would have died, but the angel gives him some special blood. Hmm. Spoiler Dracula kind of stuff. So sorry, not sorry. You don't play video games, right? Not unless it's like uh, nostalgic Super Metroid, uh, old like any Nintendo Super stuff. Nintendo game. Yeah, yeah. I want to pitch you today, Travis, on video games because is this the Twitch pitch? No, it's not. It's actually I've been a gamer pretty much my whole life. A really cool really? game that came out uh, just a week or two ago called Tales of Arise. It's a series of games that goes back twenty five years. Uh, they're what's called JRPGs, so they're Japanese role playing games. Um, and I was sort of thinking, I was playing, It's you know, it's very different to play through as an almost 40-year-old man and still find enjoyment. Yeah. And I was trying to think of the reasons I really still enjoy games like this. And it's because they have these narrative structures and stories yeah. that they tell, and they go so much more in depth. They're almost on the level of a book in which you read like eight, nine thousand, hundred, you know, a very large book and get to know these characters in such depth and take you on journeys. And you know, I thought of all the amazing video games I've played that have done the same thing. There's a, a great video game series called Bioshock, and uh, it's it's commentary. You know Ayn Rand, the original oh, libertarian course. thinking. So it's 
this uh, concept that this guy named Andrew Ryan uh, wanted to have a pure libertarian society, but so he took it under the ocean and he built this entire society under the ocean. And you get in this plane crash and you find the entrance and you find this place has just been completely demolished and these people have all gone mad and they're using this pure libertarian thinking where they develop this crazy science. They can inject themselves with powers like electricity and wind. And, <laughs> I just feel like I've been taking so many amazing places and the way that these games unfold and tell you a story and the way that they can incorporate visuals or putting yourself into, into the seat of a character and like have you actual fight and like feel stronger and like have these epic confrontations that, that feel emotional. You know, I, I don't think people view video games like that. And I was like, why, why do I feel such a strong investment emotionally in, in all this in video games? But it's stuff like this. There's so many really amazing so Tim, games I can recommend. You might not know what you're doing um, as in terms of an advocate for my own kids, but um, because part of my uh, part of my potential problem is being too puritanical, which I never thought I'd say that about myself, but being too puritanical and wanting to negate the things I see as harmful, and so technology and screens and the battles I have with my kids to make sure that they're getting outside and, you know, being in the real world. But part of my acknowledgement with how parenting works is you say, don't do something that gives it more power. They are going to do more of it. And so I've been thinking, how do you work with this kind of shit? You know, um, augmented reality is not something that I think is going to be healthy for humans. I don't want to move into like some kind of augmented reality avatar. You know, we can all be sexy with our avatar kind of thing. It's just, you know, getting groomed by old pedophiles, but in a virtual world, like that's, I'm not fucking down with that stuff. But at the same time, if they're, these are tools and I really see a lot of this stuff as potential tools. I've connected with people I never would have, um, through technology, through podcasts as a tool. And so um, if there are these kind of things that actually are narratively empowering and, and creative, um, that is something that I would be more okay with my kids exploring um, because there's going to be some level of technology pushed on them regardless. It's just, yeah. it's here. It's not something that I, I'm going to be able to fight on a, on a, on that level and just be able to, like I'm not moving to the, like the the Luddite, you know, Amish island. Yeah, yet. that's the hardest yes. thing I think especially as a parent is how do you show them that this is a tool but show them how it you know it can be used for enrichment and not just for like junk food. Yeah. Because, because I, we I have to mention people... Facebook, we have to mention Facebook, Instagram, oh, WhatsApp uh, we, before we kind of you know wrap up. Um I mean, we have a I, I didn't realize that there was just like a, a whistle whistleblower and this like interview and then all of a sudden everything kind of goes dark. You know, maybe they're dumping a bunch of evidence. Who knows what's going on? Um, you know, but but this idea of mental illness impacting young people because of the social media stuff. Some of the young women I'm interacting with at these at the at these protests, you know, um, cackling, waiting for me to be in the ICU, um, and and evidence really now of especially young white women being very impacted by by a lot of the social media. Um, I see it in my own kids becoming little dopamine addicts. Okay, they are dopamine addicts when they are just getting this instant gratification on the screens. When that screen is off, that 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 sort of like um, I'm, I'm hitting the microphone as I'm kind of doing the search and destroy movement with you know the kid the kids go into this like ah ah it's being taken away from me withdrawal and so they have a, like a process of withdrawal getting off these screens and so it's like seeing that on like that sort of visceral level but also understanding that again you have to kind of work with these things but. Um, is there, is there an age that's too young to be, you know, how am I, how am I supposed to tell my young little one that they, that she can't do what her brothers are doing? And so, you know, it's just, it's a very well, messy thing that we know, have to navigate. One thing that has kept me, 
identify as a conservative for many years now is I feel as though the science has really confirmed what conservatism has kind of been teaching generally right. yeah. is, is we know now that responding to that the kids brains are not really fully formed until like their mid twenties. Okay. Yeah. And so when you uh, wire them with caffeine or screens or, or any kind of addicted substance, that's something that is probably going to stay in the pathways of the brain for their whole life. My dad started smoking when he was a teenager, you yeah. know, like a freshman or sophomore in high school, he's 65. He still smokes a fucking pack a day. I don't even know how he's standing. You know, there's a reason they want to get kids early, whether it's brand identification or things like nicotine, tobacco or alcohol or, or screens. You know, this is one thing that's really worried me is because I don't see anyone addressing this in the larger Republican movement. They're really focused on business and they're really focused on civil rights, but they don't seem to be focused on the family issues. Whereas, you know, is it harming our kids by doing all these Zoom meetings by, you know, they're obviously not seeing their friends. They're not able to develop the skills that you and I are to react to actual yeah, human being. Emotions I tell you, I, I tell you what, I tell you what, seeing my little girl um, on the three Zoom meetings a day, uh, that pisses me off. It, it really pisses me off. And, to, you know, to have the sense that I shouldn't be angry or if I express that anger at a school board meeting, I'm now some kind of like, you know, uh, DOJ warranted FBI target. Like, fuck that noise. Like, I, I should be pissed off. I'm a good parent. And that's why I'm pissed off, because I have seen for almost two years what's what, what this is doing to my kids. OK, I've seen them talking to their friends between fences. I saw my little girl not that long ago crying because she was in quarantine and couldn't like um, interact with the, the girl and the, uh, you know, the neighbor girl. It's just like, OK, no. Yeah, no. Tell me. Tell me how I, how I'm a hateful, heartless person with, with no empathy. Tell me how your fucking mask is for me. You know, to tell me. Tell me how selfish I am, please. Yeah. Please. When I was maybe 20 years ago, I read The God Delusion by Richard Dawkins. Oh, I, I really, have that book yeah. now. Yeah. So there's a portion of that book where he talks about uh, I can't remember what the concept is when Catholicism that once you become seven years old, you can actually go to hell. Like if you do anything bad before seven, you go to the special purgatory for kids. But after seven years old, we will go and tell a second grader, if you sin, you will go to hell and burn for eternity. You, you pass that point, kid. Well, and, and he was like, this is child abuse. This is instilling this level is. of fear at such an early stage of their life. And I was like, what is different than that than telling kids they're going to get shot at school, that telling them the planet is going to burn up, that all the animals are going to die. Or like, the nuclear, the, the you know, get under the other, under the desk back in the day during the Cold War. Or even just, you know, the things you learn before you're about 18 to 20 really impact the trajectory of your life. And if you, I th one thing that was really important during the 20th century was education, that you were as educated as possible because you could do the most in the world once you had a really good background in education. And so this is why it pisses me off so much that educational standards have gone down because it really does affect the trajectory of someone's life. When you look at the, the education standards, especially when it comes to minorities in these inner city schools and places like California and Baltimore, you know, when you can't even teach a kid to read or write before they're back on the streets and dropped out, what kind of life is that person going to have? And how is that going to affect them even more than the fact that they have, you know, a, a minority skin color? It's well, if you're willing to, to sell shoes with some blood on them and take some pictures hey, as a black I man. I love Lil Nas with, X. With, with I'll pregnant. defend that guy until the end. Uh, there's some special things that he is doing, which are basically, in my opinion, the final conclusion to what we needed to have real, actual gay rights in society. Tim and the Satan. minority positions. He's like, worshiping Satan. Satan. You know, he's also a black man in a community that is one of the last holdouts that is still tends to be very homophobic and very about masculinity and like machismo. Uh, and the fact that he's like taking that head on and fucking going for it. You I'm know. glad you're defending him. Good for He should have the freedom to express himself how he chooses. I might not agree with it. 
But this is my perspective as a gay man is like the things we've been fighting for our whole lives and the people who fought before me who, you know, died of AIDS tragically because of people like fucking Tony Fauci uh, was to have the freedom to go out and do that, to go out and express themselves sexually, to fuck whoever they want. That's a sense of freedom. And so when this guy is kind of putting out that male, gay male sexuality, which is a little effeminate, but a little like between masculine and feminine, he's really challenging the the broadest, hardest uh, stereotypes of society in doing that. So that's my rant about that guy. I don't really care. I actually kind of like his music. I, I like what he's doing as an artist. I'm well, I watched, one of, I watched one of the videos and it you know, seemed like it was about love and heartbreak, you know, but in a, in a, well, in a satanic, sort of very gay satanic sort of packaging this is where i think the left doesn't get it like i don't think there's ever going to be a point where you can put two dudes like heavy tongue kissing on tv and have straight guys be like yes more of that i think it's just like at a certain level you're just not gonna be able to process that and that's fine i don't need every straight guy to look at two gays fucking or making out and being fine with it because i don't look at straight people making out or fucking and i'm not fine with it. it's not it's not to my taste okay but if we can all live in a society where those things can go on in their separate oh. areas and we don't beat each other up kill her, each yeah. other put each shots in each other's arms and put each other in camps and that's i think what a free society is supposed to be like okay I, you know, man, I'm so glad that we, we do this every week. This is, I look forward to this so much. Um, one of the things that I want to do as if we, I have the freedom to go put, you know, my dick or anything else up another guy's butt, then why can't you just decide whether you should get a shot or not? Come on. I, you know, I think we found some common ground that we can all just agree on. I know. I'm going to put that on a bumper sticker and put on your car. <laughs> Please do, please do. I want you to help me though um, identify where I became a, a dangerous extremist. And the in the way that we might be able to do this, um, I have an Odyssey account now. Um, I have a bunch of crap on my YouTube channel that um, yeah, fuck YouTube. I, I've never really done much with YouTube, but um, you know when 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 Donald Trump um, was elected and broke a lot of people's minds, I spent that 2016 to kind of 2019, 20. Uh, making a lot of music videos. And so there's a lot of evidence of uh, my, my white supremacy. Um, I was doing a lot of studying of like Nazism and the occult and new age philosophies and then also gentrification and local dynamics. Very interesting mixed bag. But I think, um, you know, I know the FBI might be kind of like stretched thin. You know, there's a lot of stuff going on in this world. So it might be helpful if um, you help me identify in my music videos where I'm bad, evil, terrible, white supremacist, racist, um, some kind of dissonant, other terms that might um, sort of reflect like a negative light on me. Well, I think we need to do that work. And and what we can do, um, we'll play around at some point. We don't have time today. But um, I really think there's some some fun stuff that we can do. Yeah, and um, I'll, to, I'll say I went to the Missoula Public Library this week. I was confident oh yeah. it was actually open. And they've moved the MCAT Studios, the Missoula Community Access Television. They're one of the resources in town that try to help teach people audiovisual. And they have some stuff you can you know check out or take classes. I was really impressed with what they have over there. Um, every day they're teaching classes and they'll do one-on-one -on -one with you to teach you like Premiere Pro or Final Cut or Audition or any of the, the things that we're trying to use and we're going to try to continue to learn so we can actually well, I'm, package I'm watching, our ideas. I'm watching people learn some of this stuff. I watched someone recently um, climb a major hill called Adobe Premiere Yeah. Um, and that was a steep climb, but the the stuff that this software can do, I mean, it's amazing that the the, the tools of creating film and just you know music and ha having the ability to really have kind of studio produced stuff really at your fingertips i mean um even when it comes to like drones and cameras like i, I i've been uh, working with this this guy um to get some nice film footage and we were out at uh waterworks hill the other day which is going to get a six hundred seventy thousand dollar rehab woo nice. 
But um, it was so beautiful. And he just like sent up the drone and we got some nice slow-mo of two butterflies. It was magical. True. Yeah, I mean, this is really what I think our tools to fight the fascism, fascism is going to be. You know, we lived in a world where there were four TV channels and on the news all said the same thing to you. You know, it's very easy to control the population in that way. We have the Internet now. You can go on and find anything about anything and anyone can put anything up. And, you know... Billie Eilish is an artist who just a couple years ago won a Grammy from an album she produced entirely in her bedroom with her brother, okay? Was that the, before or after Satan got involved? It was before. Okay. Uh, but what I'm saying is these tools are now cheap enough that they're available yeah. to anyone. And if you have the time and the willingness to learn, you can put your message out there. And I think what's hard you know, for people like me and Travis is to do it all completely on your own is, is a hill maybe too hard to climb. But, you know, finding one guy who can learn video, one guy who learned audio, one, you know, web stuff once we come together with our individual pieces you know we're so much stronger and we can do so much more so i think that's where we're going to be going yeah and i love uh meeting new people in person i've been doing more more and more of that um i can you know use pro tools record a song to sarah alert and then in a day that song is out there on the blog so people can hear me go sarah alert Sarah alert. I've been singing that around my house. And now my kids, every time they hear me just say Sarah, they tell me to shut up immediately. Like, shut up, dad. Shut up. I, I don't know what it is about that. It just has been stuck in my we head. We need to go but... to karaoke some night because I, oh, I still yeah. think you have a great voice. And I have some, oh, I think some songs I think your voice would fit good with. So I, I need some practice on We Didn't Start the Fire. So we need to do some Billy Joel. Speaking no, of a Billy. That's just like talk singing. Well, but I, but I, I just have to, I have to, I have to do some, uh, some like kind of you know, those tongue, tongue exercises to get limber enough so that if I have something similar and I have to go through verses that have a lot of language, I need to be able to do that because I, and I am pretty good at doing that. I have the Fox and Socks stuff is, is I'm, I'm probably one of the best readers of Fox and Socks. Oh yeah. Well, maybe we should chicks and bricks and clocks and socks. You know, like, no, we should, we should definitely do that. Um, it's been another pleasant hour and a half or however long we were 75 minutes today. That's kind of like the sweet spot that we're hitting. Probably. Yeah. You know, an hour is not enough time for us to usually go through the list of stuff, but, um, 90 minutes, you know, starts getting us a little delirious. I don't know how some of these people do like two or three hours. One of the guys I listened to on Rockfin, Ryan Christian. I mean, the guy does two and a half or three hours at a go. And I'm just like, I tried to do it solo once. Remember uh, you weren't able to be there and I did like a solo thing for an hour and I just like talked. Man, we got to show you Twitch because people make a whole living on there just doing nothing but playing video games for eight hours and make hundreds. There's esports guys that make million. This is one thing that bothered me is esports is becoming its whole thing. Like just a little Asian kid just playing one specific game can make like three See, that's million, what I was gonna 16 say. million dollars, depending how good he is. I'm not going to do this. I'm going to get my my kids need to start start getting bringing in some money so that daddy can just be a um, citizen journalist that goes around responding to the synchronicities like butterflies floating well, in the, the thing. It, when you go watch the playoffs of these things I'm talking about, they're sponsored by Bud Light. I'm oh, like, really? <laughs> no one cares that we're using Bud Light advertisements for like computer games now? Okay. I guess oh. everyone's 80 years old who's making policies, so this is so far under the radar, they won't even know it if you explain it to them. Like, <laughs> yeah, well, this is the world we live in until we go to the Amish Island or the High Line, whatever comes first. Um, I, I'm going to be fully engaged, and so I'm glad to have friends that are fully engaged. And you are going to help in so many ways. We gotta Hopefully. we we gotta identify what what's going wrong with this. Radical we didn't even parent. talk about sober October today. I, do, 
No, because okay, we'll do, we'll do it another day. I know we'll we'll see if you can maintain that sober That's October. True. We'll, we'll see. Yeah, it's hard to get into without background, so we'll just log off for today. I think for today, but you have been listening out there to Zoom Town. This is a podcast we've been doing for um, since January, and I am glad that you were listening, and I want you to continue listening. We are putting new episodes out every Tuesday. Uh, you can reach out to me at willskink at yahoo.com. That's my alter ego pseudonym. Um, but I am doing this along with my co-host, Tim Adams, every Tuesday. Yeah, and if you want to see the stuff I put on Twitter, I'm trying to update the COVID numbers at least and put some more hard data on there. So it's T Adams MT it's, on Twitter. It, it, it's so helpful to have that that counterbalance. It's so, even, even um, I, I know my own mind, I, it's hard to, to think that, that we are actually having much of an impact sometimes because if they say code blue, you know, and oh, they're all dying, death, death, death. When people are afraid, they're just, they're not really open like that that low fear vibration is something that does not support critical thinking so we'll do what we can um to to try and sort of counter the information out there um but you know it's a it's a maybe a losing game at some we'll point keep going. but i have fun and i know you do too tim so thank you and tune in next tuesday for another episode of zoom town <laughs>